Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you to whoever you are listening to this. Before we start, just to remind you that we do this podcast two, three times a week. But we don't always know which days it's going to be on, so there's only one way to know, and that is to subscribe and get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough about that. Let's talk some rugby. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and we've got a very special podcast today. Got a fantastic guest lined up. I know there was no episode last week, but we're more than making up for it. We've got a true legend of the game, former New Zealand international and captain and one of the finest players to pull on the All Black jersey. It's Sean Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, Sean? I'm very good, thank you, Ben. Uh, nice, to, nice to have another voice in the house. Uh, <laughs> during the lock time, we haven't had too, too many different voices in the house, but... Uh, Good to be talking to somebody from Cardiff. I was going to say, how, how have you been finding the uh, lockdown? Um, I think we've, we're, we're okay. We've, uh, you know, we've been here for almost 14 weeks now. So my wife and uh, our oldest daughter and her boyfriend. Um, our youngest daughter has just, just arrived back. She's been, uh, been at university away in America and just, has just done her two weeks isolation. So she's now back with us, which is, which is great. Um, but yeah, we've you know we've made the best of a of a terrible situation, and you know I've done a lot of manual labour around the house. I've painted the house, I've you know regrouted the patio, all jobs that I wouldn't have done uh, hadn't it been for for the isolation. I was going to say, I, found, I think a lot of people have probably got plenty of work done around the house. Um, I'd like to say I'm the same, but I've been probably quite useless, um, more useless than, than than before the pandemic. In fact, uh, the reason we've got you on the podcast is because incredibly rugby is back in in some shape or form in New Zealand as we saw on the weekend uh super rugby Aotearoa what, what did you make of it it was fantastic to see full crowds for a start wasn't it yeah it's, it's, it seemed bizarre actually watching watching uh, a live sport let alone live sport let alone with a crowd and have a capacity crowd almost at both of those games um in Dunedin and and then on the Sunday afternoon uh, in Auckland at Eden Park to see 43,000 people, I think they had that, um, which is which is great. And, I, you know, you, I, I talk about opportunities and, and how is rugby going to look post-COVID, and I'm sure that we'll talk about this, but this is a, a classic example of making the, the best of a, of a horrific situation and, you know, what New Zealand did in the weekend in creating this uh, super rugby Aotearoa um, has you know often less is better. You know we often say that, and what we saw on on Sunday and Saturday uh, was a, a great example of of actually having time to sit back, look at different competitions, uh, our hand being forced because of COVID, and we haven't done that, Ben. In the in the last twenty five years since the game went professional, we haven't had an opportunity to actually sit back and and look at our game. As, as professionals and you know the game went professional overnight literally and we haven't had a moment to sit back and think what's working what's not working how to how you know some of the financial decisions that have been made over the last 25 years have been have been terrible and I think a lot of those have been exposed now because of COVID and you know what we've got to realize is that we have some amazing people running our game um, we have some amazing uh, competitions, some amazing products, you know, the Lions, European Rugby, uh, Wales, England, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. Uh, so we have some amazing products, um, but we just need a bit of time to step back and, and look at what has worked 
And I think what we saw in New Zealand on the weekend was a great example of, of what does work. You know, rivalry, um, tribalism, small competitions, um, people knowing how the competition runs, home and away, uh, then we have a winner. And, and that's, you know, what I think is going forward is that we need to look at the different competitions and, you know, the global game. You know, your, your um, CEO at Wales, uh, Martin, Martin Phillips, is on a, on a committee at the moment for World Rugby trying to look at a global, a global season. And, you know, I think it's important that we, we address these issues and for the sake of our game because it can't survive um, the way it has done in the last few years. I'm sure we'll touch on the sort of global season and all, all that uh, in a little bit. But I think if, if you'd have, a few months back, if you'd have looked at how rugby would return, the, the odds on the first games being back, having full crowds, just would have seemed completely alien, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. But, you know, New Zealand's done a great job and we should be very, I'd be very proud in terms of what they've achieved in terms of, of wiping out the COVID. Just, but ironically, I just can't see that happening up here for, for a while. I can't see crowds um, like that, you know, going to the stoop or going to going to Twickenham or all the you know stadiums like that, the Principality, because at the moment it's just not safe. You know, we're having a, a real issue here in England. You know, just getting the guys back training, and you know, I can't I can't see in the near future we're going to see a lot of rugby uh, with crowds, if any. Exactly, and that's just only going to sort of hinder the Northern Hemisphere in terms of finances, isn't it? You know, I think you think specifically that the Welsh Rugby Union, you know, the the, the Principality Stadium is currently a hospital, and and mm-hmm. I don't know how many internationals they're intending on playing this autumn. Obviously, you've got the Scotland game from the Six Nations that needs to be played. Um, there's talk that, I mean, the New Zealand Test could still go ahead the summer tour. I don't know whether that will happen or not, but without a crowd in the Principality Stadium, which looks unlikely at the minute. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're losing out on millions. Yeah, well, it's just unfortunate. Um, we've got to make sure it's safe first, and then and then and then move forward because that's the most important thing is that people are safe. And you know, we can't have another spike. Uh, second spike would just be horrendous, and you know, we'll see a lot of unrest. You know, I think we're seeing that at the moment. You know, people are becoming very unsettled, and you know, we just need to make sure. Uh, we have a responsibility and in terms of our game to make sure the players are safe, coaches are safe, and, and ultimately uh, when that's done, we can then get back to, to playing some rugby. Let's, let's talk rugby then. Um, I'd say there was two games on in New Zealand. What, what did you make of the, the return of Super Rugby on the field? I, well, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was brilliant. I, you know, just see, as I said, to see those sort of numbers of people, the, the energy, the um, energy, that they bought and you could see the players, they look as fit as they've ever been. And, and the rugby was good. I, you know, I like the new rules. Um, you know, there's a lot of penalties and that's unfortunately going to happen and with, with new rules coming in in terms of, of trying to speed that ball up at the breakdown. And the players are learning and over the next 10 weeks, we'll hopefully see those, that penalty count come down. Um, but I, yeah, I thought there's some, some young names that, that came through uh, I thought the Blues, for me, obviously being from Auckland, uh, we've had a pretty hard, hard job supporting the Blues over the last few years. But they, they look as though they've, they've turned the corner. Um, Leon McDonald, the coach, has done a great job. You know, Tana Umanga was the coach. He's now moved into the assistant coach's role, and I think he's, that's where he wants to be. Um, and 
you know, they've got a bit of depth and, you know, to have Bowden Barrett uh, signed there, that just brought so much energy to the, to the Auckland region. And then, and then to have Dan Carter uh, also signed um, as, a, as a player, mentor at the age of 38, has, has really brought a lot of energy to, to the Auckland region. And, you know, we used to lose a number of players from school. They'd either go to, to Canterbury or the Hurricanes or, or, or the Chiefs. Um, where now, I think they see the Blues as, as, a, as a franchise that could potentially win uh, Super Rugby. So hopefully a lot of those kids now will stay in the Auckland region. I was going to say, Dan, Dan Carter's not a bad water boy to have, is he? Uh, <laughs> she saw him doing I just think it's, yeah, Sunday. I think it's good. And, you know, the, you know, the, you know, he's a crusader through and through. But now he's, he's in the Auckland region. Both him and Bowdoin, uh, their wives, they live in Auckland. Um, so it just it just made sense, and and I think it was a real coup. John Hart uh, is who the former All Black coach. Uh, he represents New Zealand rugby on the on the Blues board, and uh, you know, I think he had a bit to do with that. But I think it really shows, as I said, a real intent that the Blues are now serious, and to have you know, two of the best um, tens the world has seen uh, in their franchise. Um, is good and you know no disrespect to the other 10s that have come through we haven't really had a 10 in the Blues since since Carlos Spencer really so as we will know international rugby it's hugely important to have a good 10 Exactly there's a lot to be made about the sort of the, you know the, the, the return of the king almost with, with Bowdoin going to Auckland and, and you add you know players have come and gone I mean Benji Marshall had a little spell didn't he and it, he did, it's, yeah. it's never really worked out and, and you could just see on, on Sunday one of the things was just the tempo he was introducing to the game anytime there was a penalty and, and there was a lot of penalties obviously. yeah he did didn't he yeah he was just yeah, banging it into that. touch within seconds that, that. Yeah, which is you know just and you know I love the excitement around him and he's a good person. I love when he when they scored that try, and all the, all the hurricanes tapped him on the head, and he just he just laughed it off. But the other good thing, Ben, is also the the ten that played Otero Black uh, is a great young talent. And you know, what a what a position that he is in now um, to have to have Dan Carter there teaching him, uh, watching. You know, I loved. You know, he said that you know. Dan Carter was the last one in from training. He was there doing the sprints up and down, which is a, a great message for the young kids that you need to you need to practice to be the best you can. Uh, you've got to really devote yourself to the game. Well, of course, the other the other game from the weekend, uh, full of late drama, and and I suppose. Mm. For us, from a Welsh perspective, it was full of interest because obviously Warren Gatlin's been here for the for the longest time, and he's now at the Chiefs. Um, that must have been a heartbreaking finish to the game for him well a bittersweet one I suppose yeah, so I think it was uh, you know to have your son in the opposition team to start with and it was interesting he said he was at dinner the night before because uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't meant to be in the 20 in the, in the match day team and he got a text at dinner with mum and dad and said oh, you're now in the reserves for tomorrow I don't think he even told dad uh, but then to go and kick the winning winning drop goal yeah, I think in the end, Gat said afterwards he was so proud of him as a, as a father. Uh, maybe as an opposition, opposition coach, he wasn't that proud. But <laughs> uh, but that yeah, Bryn did a did a great job. Well, I suppose it's a a defeat for for Warren Gatlin there. But how has his return to New Zealand sort of um, been viewed in the country after so long uh, away with Wales? Very very accepting. 
uh, you know, he's just been voted the, the greatest coach ever, I think, in, in one of our papers up here or magazines. So, you know, we're lucky to have him in New Zealand. The knowledge that he is bringing back to New Zealand rugby um, be crazy not to not to open you know to welcome him back with open arms uh, you know he's won you know premierships up here you know lions tours island uh, and then what he did in wales you know six nations etc uh huge experience and and you know he's you know hopefully uh you know going to be taking a leading alliance tour next year and, and the knowledge that he'll get from that to be able to bring that back to the chiefs um, is, is tremendous for New Zealand rugby. It works, works both ways. So he's learning a lot now in terms of what he can bring back to the Northern Hemisphere for the Lions next year. And, and it works vice versa for us without, without question. Exactly. We've, we've seen, I think Eddie Jones was speaking about it the other day that we've seen that before with obviously Graham Henry and Steve Hansen both mm. having the Wales job and then, you know, forming the better part of the, the New Zealand coaching ticket throughout a period of dominance from about 2007 through to 2015, you know. Yeah. It, it, and I think it's, it's something... Getting different perspectives, isn't it? Yeah, I think, Ben, it's something that we could do better in this part of the world um, in terms of our coaches, you know, going going south, uh, whether it's South Africa, New Zealand, Argentina, Australia, and, and learning their trade. You know, look at Ronan Nagara. He, he just said his, his time at the Crusaders... And I'd imagine took a, a pretty big pay cut to, to go to the Crusaders from, you know, he was in the French League at, at racing. Uh, but he said he, the stuff he learned down there, he could never have learned that in this part of the world. So I think, and, and even players, you know, I'd encourage younger players just to go down and play some club footy in Christchurch or in, in Auckland um, over the summer. Yeah, I, I, I think it's hugely beneficial um, for our younger players in this part of the world, just to go and experience a, a rugby life, and that's what it is. It's like it's like in Wales, you know, rugby is is a religion, uh, and it's you know different. I mean, I always get told by sort of my colleagues who are slightly older than me, you know, about how all the when coaching became sort of en vogue in the nineteen seventies, a load of New Zealanders came over to Wales to see how it was done, but you, you rarely see. I mean. I could, you could name the sort of players and coaches on, on probably one or two hands who have gone from Wales to, to New Zealand. I think, you know, Joe Thomas had a spell. Mark Jones is at the Crusaders right now, but he was, you know, passed up for all the regional jobs. You know, he was pretty yeah. much on. He was pretty much consigned to sort of, to, to not be a regional coach. And then, you know, the Crusaders, who just won three super rugby titles, took a chance on him. So, you know, what does that say about the Welsh rugby perspective? But I imagine, you know, for Mark, it'll be the same thing as what Ron Nogara's got out of the Crusaders working under someone like Scott Robertson. Exactly. I've just I've just made a list of, of, of coaches. You know, you've got Gatlin, Dave Rennie, Hanson, Henry, Pivak, Jamie Joseph. Uh, you know, you, you could just carry on Aaron Major, um, who have all, all learnt their trade in this part of the world and, and are now, you know, coaching either international teams or, or, or back in back in New Zealand coaching at, at super rugby level. You know, Brad Moore, who who, you know, who's just, just gone back to New Zealand to help Ian Foster as a forward coach. So yeah, we're we're not afraid to to go and learn and I just think it's a it's a great example of, of what you know, because it's a it's a career job now. Um, it's not a it's not a school, a school teacher or a policeman becoming a coach. This is a, a career that that you know a lot of guys are going to take. 
it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? You think, you know, New Zealand have set the sort of the standard and the benchmark for so long. And yet it, it seems certainly from a Welsh perspective, there aren't many Welsh coaches who, you know, or, or players who, who look for a chance to, to maybe go over to New Zealand to learn. Well, as New Zealanders, you're coming over to the Northern Hemisphere to learn. And, and you'd think we'd be trying to learn from you more, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Is it? I mean, I can't, there's not many players or coaches. I, I think, think Joe well, Marchant. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the, yeah, look at Joe. That's a great, that's a great example. Um, there was an opportunity that, that, that he took and he's done a, a phenomenal job and absolutely loves it. And he's going to bring all that knowledge back to Harlequins and, and, and spread, spread the gospel. And that's, you know, I think as a rugby fraternity and family, we're, we're quite happy to do that, to share knowledge. And uh, which, which I think is, is important and something that, you know, you could learn from. But in saying that, you know, New Zealanders t- tend to travel a bit easier than, uh, than from this part of the world. You know, we, we were brought up traveling. So, you know, uh, maybe it's easier for us to, to step outside our bubble. I was going to say, though, having, you know, New Zealand was one of the first places um, I visited when I sort of decided to venture abroad. And as a Welsh farmer raised in the hills, I mean, you know, drinking a space and going around New Zealand. It's not exactly a massive step, is it? <laughs> yeah, very much similar to the valleys, I suppose. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I suppose the other thing that came out of the weekend's matches, we mentioned it briefly, is is the stuff around the breakdown and how that was refereed. Mm. Um, sort of mixed opinions at the time, I think a lot of penalties, which people weren't happy with in terms of the flow of the game. But how do you see that affecting? Because I think in the long run, if, if they continue to referee, you know, Jackal turnover is going to be more pre- prevalent. I think there's going to be more offloads and, and probably more sort of counterattack opportunities. Surely, yeah, I think so. No, it's it's, it's uh, funny. Funnily enough, it's it's not a new rule. They're just policing it a lot, exactly. yeah, you know, a lot better and uh, and hopefully being more consistent in their rulings. And that's all the players ask for is this consistency. But I, you know, I think it's good. I speed of the game is important. Um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, defence is great. I love defence. Um, but ironically, normally the best defensive team wins. And, you know, the All Blacks for many years had had less possession but still won games. So I like the idea where the best attacking team wins uh, rather than the best defensive team. And it's just about, you know, speed of the game, less penalties, less scrums, and, and seeing a, a game that's easier to understand. Um, which is, you know, and more appealing. And that's, and that's, you know, you go back to rugby post-COVID, you know, we have to have a product that is really appealing uh, to broadcasters. And, and as we saw on Saturday um, and Sunday, uh, in terms of a TV audience, it was massive. And if we can continue to grow that product in terms of a, a TV product, um, that's, that's when we'll start generating some real revenue um, that can help our game grow. Also, you mentioned there about how it, you know, it used to be defences ruled, and, and maybe this can help attacks. Now, from a Welsh perspective, I can't help but notice that we've lost Sean Edwards, but we've gained, you know, Stephen Jones and Wayne Pivak. So, mm. you, you sense the the shift in the Wales team it is going to to be to sort of attack off turnover ball and, and to offload the game. And without Sean Edwards no longer there, m- maybe this is a shift that would in, in referee and that would probably help the current Wales team. I think so. Yeah, maybe. Um, that's, you know, <laughs> I suppose you don't really want to be a defensive coach now. <laughs> um, but, 
it's probably going to become more important. The fans is going to become more important because they're going to be under a lot more pressure in terms of ball and play. Um, but I, you know, to have somebody like Wayne Pivak coming through, who, who did such a great job at the Scarlets, um, knows knows what goes on in Wales, knows knows the lay of the land, and and he'll do a great job. You know, it's just sad that the, the Six Nations didn't get completed because it's you know it was his first opportunity really as as the Welsh coach and you know success is not going to happen overnight you know we're you know following on from Gatland it's it's like Ben Foster following on from Steve Hansen it's not a it's not an easy job so it's it's going to take time and, and and maybe with this break it's it's given him a better opportunity to assess uh, where they're at after the games they played in the Six Nations. What, what did you make of sort of Pivac's first Six Nations? Uh, I mean, as you say, it was sort of pandemic affected and I can't imagine he ever envisioned that as his first Six Nations. But what, what, what did you make of it? I, I thought he's very, he's very good. He's obviously a very good coach. Um, you know, I've heard some great things uh, about his, his coaching, especially you know, in and around the Scarlets. Um, but it's it's going to take time. It's it's like a player playing playing club rugby and stepping into international rugby. It's it's a different environment, uh, you know, in terms of access to the players. Um, it's not like coaching a club team. We have them all the time, and you know, it's going to take him time to to work that out. Um, but he's wise. He's 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 a fighter. Um, he knows what he wants and. You know, he's he's got some he's got some good talent, and that's the the key. Um, there's some great young kids coming through that, um, you know, will serve him well. I'm sure. Any players in particular who you you sort of look at uh, from a Welsh perspective and think they do a decent job in a in a black jersey? Yeah, there'd be a few. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, players like Jonathan Davis and and those sort of players. Um, Hugely talented, and that's and that's what you need in teams. You need players that are uh, of a world class level. You, know, you need you need a few in your team if you, if you want to win competitions. You need some world class players, and and Wales has got that. Um, so you know it's just going to take take time and um, and belief really. And that's probably the one thing that you know the Welsh of late um, they need to believe that they can win big competitions. And, and not be satisfied coming second. And that's, you know, for, for us as All Blacks, you know, winning is the most important thing. And you need a belief that when you pull that jersey on that, that you have a chance of winning. And if we don't play well, we're going to lose. And, uh, and that's just what the, the players have to believe that, the coaches have to believe that. And then you surround yourself in good people. I'm sure, sure Wayne's done that in terms of his, his support staff. Uh, you, need the, you need the best people who are, who are there to, to win trophies. And that's, you know, I always say to people, let's, let's be the best in the world. Let's not just be the best in Europe or, you know, the best in, in the Six Nations. Let's be the best, best rugby team in the world. I guess you can, you can see that that was a problem that, that Warren Gatland probably wrestled with with the longest time because... Throughout his reign, Wales were consistently one of, if not the best, in Europe. Mm. Yet the, the record against the Southern Hemisphere didn't reflect that, and I, I guess that was just a constant work on for Warren Gatland because towards the end we did see a sort of a pickup in results. 
Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, it's, it's opportunities and, you know, touring in the summer is not always easy when they, when, you know, the teams up here go south, it's, it's not a great time of the year. It's the end of our season. Um, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere in the middle of their season, they're fresh, ready to go. As, I suppose it's similar to when they come to this part of the world. It's, it's the end of the Southern Hemisphere season when they come up here in the autumn. So, you know, um, yeah, belief. And that's, you know, and that's, that's for the players. You know, that's probably during COVID, that's been, it's been a great opportunity for them to get fitter and stronger uh, than they've ever been. And I think we saw that on the weekend, I, the shape of those guys, uh, you know, right from the, the prop to the fullback or the guy off the bench, they look seriously fit. And they, they could play 80 minutes if they had to uh, at the same, the same tempo because it's a, it's a pretty high tempo. That's one thing Joe Marsh said to me after Christmas. Uh, he couldn't, couldn't believe the tempo of the game in terms of the speed the game's played at. Um, which as a fan, it's good to watch. I, I seem to remember him saying somewhere that he felt confident he could take the sort of Northern Hemisphere defence and maybe rule the roost a bit, you know, and bring bring that. But then he was just taken aback at how quickly teams were attacking. So he didn't really have time to get set. Yeah, but that's that's you know something he's learned, and I, I know it's for, for a fact he's been really he's been in charge of the defence and and he's taken some stuff down there that you know the, the guys at the Blues weren't weren't doing before. Um, but yeah, the, te- the tempo the tempo is the thing that. You know, if you can live with the tempo, um, you'll do okay. But if you know, you can live for three or four turnovers or four, you know, sets of, of play. But if anything outside that, um, a lot of people struggle to to get back and get in line. Yeah, I remember. I remember speaking at Dominic Day, and he went to play very briefly down in Australia, uh, former Wales lock, and. Um, he was struggling to keep up with the offloads in training. So I think <laughs> match day would have been a shock. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Um, we, we mentioned it sort of at the top of the podcast. Um, there's a meeting today, World Rugby, um, in terms of moving towards a global season. I know Warren Gatlin sort of described it as now or never for this to happen. What, what are your thoughts on, on this and, and whether it needs to, to happen? Um, well, it definitely needs to happen. And, I, and once again, post-COVID, I think we're seeing what we saw on the weekend was a different competition. Um, and, and it worked um, in terms of, of crowds, um, in terms of TV audience, but yeah, I, it's the global the global calendar needs to be seriously looked at, and, and it's a matter of everyone coming together. It's no surprise that the, the most successful union and um, and uh, team in the world in the last 10, 15 years is, is New Zealand uh, on and off the field. Why? Because they have a collective agreement in terms of they work together, and that's that's what we need to do. And I know it's a, it's, a, it's a buzzword at the moment, but self-interest needs to be parked. And we need to do what is right for the game uh, globally. And, and a global season is, is, what, is what we want and what we need. So we need to make that work. As I said, Martin Phillips is working along with Mark, Mark Robinson, the New, New Zealand CEO, and I think another four on, on this global calendar. And... As I said at the beginning also, we've got some amazing people running this game and we've got some great products, um, but we need to package it. And that's what the global calendar 
um, will enable us to do. But, yeah, what's right and what's wrong is something that needs to be, be studied. I'll go back to it again. This COVID-19 has given us the opportunity to, to look at the game more closely, uh, what's worked, what financial decisions have worked, which financial decisions haven't worked, what competitions are working, uh, number of games the players are playing per year, player welfare, um, and what's what's good on TV. You know, maybe you know Toulouse playing the Crusaders every year is is not the best thing. Maybe having a, a, a you know a club competition every other year might be the way to do it. Um, because I think as we've learned through the last 25 years, more is not necessarily better. You, know, you look at the, the Super Rugby when it first started in 96, 97. What a fantastic competition. Easy to understand, home and away, as, as we saw in the weekend. It's easy to understand, a lot of tribalism, a uh, lot, of, lot of local derbies. And, um, you know, and all of a sudden we decided that we needed to, to grow it. And, and was that best for the game or not? You know? And I think we've, we've realised that you know, more is not necessarily better. And I mean, here in Wales and in Europe, we're probably about 10, 15 years behind the curve on that because you look at the, the Celtic League, the Pro 14, that's gone from being just the Celtic League to Italian teams coming on board. Now we have two South African teams. There's talk more South African teams could join, another four, I think. Uh, there's been rumours that American teams could join. So we're sort of following that trend <laughs> sort of 10 years, 15 years down the line. And, and, and we've seen it doesn't work in Super Rugby. Mm. Here we are. So I think... Yeah, just... It's 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 a Ben. It's about aligning the competitions that we don't have a have a pro fourteen game on a Friday night, and then we have a, an international on the Saturday um, because we haven't got our best players playing in the pro fourteen, and 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 I think that's a something that needs to change. Um, so we need seasons. And yeah, you know, when you look back to the start of of, of um, professional rugby, we had we had different windows. We had a Super Rugby window. Uh, then we had an international window, then we had a, a club window, and then we had an international window again, um, which seemed, seemed to work. You know, I think the peak of my time playing for the All Blacks, I, the most I ever played in one season, I think, was 12 internationals, where now they're playing up to 15, 16, 17 internationals a year, uh, which is, you know, I love international rugby, but... You know, it's, it's too much. So, you know, and, and I suppose a positive, you, you mentioned the Pro 14 and, and the premiership here is that, you know, an outside investor is, has come in and put, you know, I think in the Pro 14, they put 120 million uh, euros into that. Um, so they obviously see something. And this was only six weeks ago, the middle of, middle of COVID. So CBC uh, obviously see something. Um, you know, they, they did a great job with F1. That was over, a, you know, that was over a sort of a, a 10 to 12 year uh, window, um, but just developed the most amazing product. So, you know, I'm really optimistic that, you know, rugby is in a, a good position to make some, some really important decisions. Exactly. And as you mentioned before, I mean, the, it, Self-interest needs to be parked, and I guess this pandemic and the the, the, the focus it's placed on on different unions and their finances. Well, n- nothing parks self-interest like that, does it? Yeah, it's interesting because you you say self-interest, and you know it's about parking that. But you know, you look at New Zealand over the years. You know, self-interest is is important. 
you know, to make sure that you, you look after your, your own backyard first and then, and then off you go. So I'm sort of contradicting myself here. Um, but, but I think in terms of, of growing the game to making sure that the revenue streams uh, are there uh, because we can't, we can't continue, as I said, with some, some financial situations that have been hugely exposed because of what's happened in the last you know, three months. And, and we can't have that because Australia can't survive with, with the debt they have. Um, you know, the All Blacks are going to really struggle um, in terms of, of generating income to support the grassroots, uh, which which is, 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 you know, important for the game. Massively so. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're, oh, you're aware, because I told you before the podcast, um, that uh, there's been a little anecdote going around uh, doing the rounds about, about yourself and uh, Derek Bevan, <laughs> former referee. I think Nigel Owens has been... Uh, regaling it on podcasts um, ahead of his after dinner speaking uh, set no doubt um, I think the language is probably not safe for this own podcast no. but um, I suppose it's only fitting you have a right of reply <laughs> I think uh, I think Nigel's taken a bit of uh, free license here I don't think I would have used those words uh, we, we used to call him Sizzler Derek Bevan uh, was called Sizzler and I don't think I would have said that but I I can remember that was probably one of the, the worst memories of my life, seeing that, that the Frenchman uh, run the length of the field to, to score the winning try. Um, so I probably I wasn't in the best frame of mind when, when Mr. Bevan was so excited about the try. Uh, but, yeah, a bit of fun. I, I love listening to, to Nigel talk, and uh, I'm enjoying that he's making a little bit of money out of me. <laughs> he's doing all right for himself, isn't he? Um, am, I, am I safe to ask what the... The, the reason behind the nick, the name Sizzler is is that is that safe for I, work? Think, I think the red the red head probably has something to do with it. That was might have even come from the like the eighty seven World Cup. I'm pretty sure he was there. And and I think his fellow fellow referees nicknamed him Sizzler. <laughs> uh, so maybe something happened at a barbecue or I don't know. But I think I think the red hair sort of gives it away really. It's be a nightmare for a referee if the the nickname the other referees are are, are giving you catches on with the players. <laughs> you yeah. lose, lose all control then, won't you? <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun. Those those days were good. We used to have good banter between the the referees, and you know you probably got away with a bit more than what you get away with now. That's for sure, which is a good thing. I mean, there must be some great tales from those days. I mean, the the the, the touring and all, and all that. There must be some great tales. Are there any sort of anecdotes from touring Wales that that stick out? I, yeah, I think it's, you know something that may come out of 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 this um, COVID nineteen is that you know teams is there's talk with the All Blacks going to Australia at the end of the year to do a little tour and then have some Bledisloe Cup games, uh, which which for me touring was was the highlight of my my career. We you know we used to tour for eight, ten weeks at a time. And, you know, coming to Wales in 89 uh, was just a, a wonderful experience because it was such a, a childhood dream of mine was to, was to play at Cardiff Arms. I, I never thought I would. Uh, my father played there in 53 for the All Blacks. And unfortunately, Dad, that day, they, they were the last team to lose to Wales. So my, my father never got over it. He ne- never went back to Wales. And even in 89, when we toured Wales and Ireland, mum, mum had to go by herself because dad wouldn't go back to Wales. Uh, so we take it quite seriously, our losses. Uh, but I, I just loved it. I loved the, 
you know, for me, as I said, you know, growing up and, you know, the, the, the Lions team that came to New Zealand in the early 70s um, affected a generation of New Zealand boys. Um, you know, we all wanted to be, you know, British and Irish Lions. I wanted to be Gareth Edwards. He was my hero. And, you know, Grant Fox started kicking the ball around the corner because Barry John kicked the ball around the corner. So, you know, that was, that was a wonderful. And, and, you know, the singing that we, we didn't, we never had singing in New Zealand at the stadiums where you'd be watching on TV and you hear the beautiful singing that would come out of, of the Arms Park. And then to, to be able to, you know, play there in 89 was, was a, a dream come true. Um, but I seem to remember the valleys more than the, than, than the test match, really, when, you know, going to Neath and going to, to Kinethley, to going to Strady Park, and, and just the, the enthusiasm and the passion um, around those games uh, was brilliant. And we had a very good team in 89. It was probably one of the, the great all-black teams, actually, that sort of followed on from the World Cup in 87. Uh, but yeah, we had we had a lot of fun, and those those are the days when you yeah you know, you'd, you'd go to the clubs on on Sunday, would go down to the club on Sunday after playing, and and you'd have a have a have a fitness session to run the beer out from the night before, and then you'd have a barbecue with the, the local kids and mums and dads, and have a sing along, and you know then we'd all pile onto the bus at about four o'clock and and head off down to the next the next club. Um, but those those are wonderful things and, and wonderful times, and and I'd love to see that come back in uh, to rugby. And, and listen, that may happen that we may start doing you know tours that we used to do, and that's a shame that you know Wales. Are, unfortunately, the summer the tours New Zealand's been cancelled, um, which is a, a real shame because you know you have a lot of fans in that part of the world. The '89 tour was a little bit before my time, but. The, was it the, the Neath game in particular was quite feisty, wasn't it? Was it, yes, that, was it yes, yeah. yeah, they had that winger. I was trying to think of his name, actually. They scored a try and then came back and gave, gave it to the crowd. And they, they went black because, they, you know, they, they went mad because they, they, I think Neath were a black jersey anyway, don't they? Oh, they're, they're, the, the, the Welsh or Blacks is what they call themselves. The Welsh, so. okay. <laughs> um, but I actually went to a reunion, um, I think in 2009, um, for, for that team. Uh, and and a lot, lot of them were there, which was uh, it was amazing. It was good good to catch up with them. Because another story I found was um, I think David Bryant, uh, former Wales uh, flanker, right. uh, saying that he he once saw you at an airport and he said you probably don't remember me, but in 1988 you held my head on the floor and uh, stamped on it. Oh, I don't think I'd do that. That'd be silly. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember we played. I was just trying to think. It wasn't Neath. It was another another team where Buck Shelford punched punched their his opposite number in the lineout, and he told him not to. Yeah, you know, he said, "Don't the lineout." The ball was thrown in, and this Welsh player was jumping all over him, and he said, "Look, don't do that." It's your last warning. And with that, he did it again. Punched him and knocked out all his front teeth. And then in those days, we used to have, a, you know, the aftermatch would be at dinner and, and we'd have the All Blacks down this side and then on the opposition, the opposition number would be on the other side. And I can always remember seeing Buck sitting there and, and Buck had a big bandage on his, on his hand where he punched him and his teeth had ended up in his fist and stuff. And, uh, and with that, the Welsh player on the other side was so proud. He was sitting there smiling and showing me that he had no teeth, that he could tell his grandchildren that Buck Shelford knocked out my teeth, you know. It was, it was, just, it was hilarious. 
it's quite a claim to fame, isn't it? To be fair, Buckshelf and knocking out your teeth. Oh, thank, thankfully the game's changed now. We don't have that sort of stuff, <laughs> which is quite good. I was going to say, I think um, Bowden Barrett having his hair ruffled is about as, uh, as, far as, 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 as far as it goes now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose uh, we'll, we'll finish then talking um, just briefly about Super Rugby again. Uh, I mean, it returned on the weekend and, and now thankfully rugby union fans in the UK have something to look forward to on the weekend. Uh, who, who are the sort of young players coming through in New Zealand who we should keep an, an eye out? I think one in particular was Caleb Clark looked really good. For- yeah, he looks very good. That's, um, you know, you're getting old when you, you you're, uh, the guys you played with, their sons are, are now lighting up the, the stage. Yeah, Caleb Clark, he came through the sevens actually. He's a very good sevens player. Uh, but he looked he looked really good on the weekend. Um, so two two the number eight for the Blues, uh, who once again another another guy I played with Waisaki Satutu. Um, his son now is playing at number eight, uh, and and you know once again they have you know uh, Akira Iwani is is on the bench, who, who everyone thought would be an All Black going through going forward. Um, he's still to realise that potential, but apparently he's fitter than he's ever been. Um, but it's a it's an interesting time for New Zealand rugby because our focus is now just purely on Super Rugby. We don't need to worry about the All Blacks at the moment because you know, if they play at all, it won't be till the end of the year. Um, so the franchises have got all their players um, at their disposal for for the next ten weeks, uh, which is great. Um, and you know it's it's the start of you know preparing for twenty twenty three. So. You know, I'm sure in the next few weeks we'll see players we've never heard of before. Um, but then we'll see some of the older guys that, you know, want to make a statement to say, look, I'm not finished yet. Uh, because I, I think as Eddie Jones has done in this part of the world, he's, he's sort of said, unless you're seen to be available for 2023, we're not going to really look at you. Um, so, you know, the white locks of the world, those sort of players who are sort of 32 at the moment, 31, 32, um, they're going to say, hey, I'm going to be available. So as you, as you saw on the weekend, there's, there's plenty of young talent in New Zealand. Uh, but then, you know, you, you go to Sunday or Saturday, you see Aaron Smith, uh, who was as lively as ever, you know, the incumbent all-black halfback. Um, there's going to be other kids that are going to come through. That, that may be another option for 2023. But I think New Zealand rugby is in a, in a good place at the moment. They've got a huge amount of tal- talent. And, you know, Ian Foster's got a bit of time now to sort of sit back and, and assess, you know, um, before they, they play, maybe, hopefully, at the end of the year. So is there talk they could play an Anzac test as well as the, uh, the Bledisloe? I think uh, against, against who? Would there be an Anzac test against Australia, I think? Oh, okay. So I, I, I thought you meant Anzac in terms of uh, Australia and New Zealand I think, combined I think that, playing, I think, playing against somebody. I think we it did was, that before. We did that. We had an Anzac test against the Barbarians or something years ago. Um, but no, I haven't heard that. But I've, but as I said, I've heard that they're looking at because they're, they're trying to create a bubble and yeah. air bridge between Australia for tourism as much as anything, um, but also sport because we've got the Warriors, uh, the rugby league team playing in the NRL at the moment, but they're actually living in Australia, so there's no there's no air bridge yet. Uh, but hopefully that that will open up. I think, yeah, I think it was an ANZAC test against Australia. I'm not sure how quite that would work. I think that was, <laughs> that was sort of mute. I, think, I guess you just have to have some some Aussies playing in, in the ANZAC team and then 
the Red, be quite good. That'd be a good one against the Lions, maybe next year. That'd be quite good. I think that I think that's also been mentioned. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. as a, as a warm up before they go to South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, yes, it's it's slightly concerning to hear that New Zealand rugby's in good health and still producing young players for for the rest of the world. Well, yeah, well, that's couldn't that's take four years off, could you? We, we seem to do that quite well. But okay. uh, you know, once again, it's you know why 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 do they continue to produce such good players? That's you know that's something that you know the rest of the world should be looking at in terms of talent identification, uh, skill sets, uh, club you know schoolboy competitions, um, you know under under nineteens, under twenty ones, under twenties. All those sort of things they seem to seem to be doing quite well, and and coaching exactly. And I mean, it's only minuscule the sort of northern hemisphere um, involvement in Super Rugby, but hopefully, you know, Joe Marching can come back and bring something to to the England setup, which he, he's sort of on the the cusp of. And hopefully, Mark Jones can learn a lot from the Crusaders and come back to Wales and take something from New Zealand rugby. Very much so. So yep, I encourage the young guys. I remember Craig Dowd, the, the All Black prop, during my time saying you know, he came up at the end of his career and played played at Wasps for a number of years in the Premiership and won titles. And, and he said he wished he'd come up here as a 19-year-old rather than a 32-year-old uh, because he thinks he would have learnt so much more, which would have helped his, his international game. Indeed. Uh, well, Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast uh, today. I'm, I'm sure this episode more than makes up for the fact that I failed to record one last week. Um, so you probably oh, got me, probably got me you, out of jail. Is your, is your beard, is that a, is that a, a lockdown beard or not? Um, no, your beard. No, I'm talking about your facial hair. Oh, sorry, the beard. Oh. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's the breakdown in accents there, isn't it? That's the Cardiff accent, uh, not really understanding. Uh, no, I'd like, I'd like to say the beard is is mainly lockdown, but it, it was probably this long before we before we went into lockdown, to be honest. The hair's a bit, yeah, the hair's a bit scruffy, but yeah, the beard, yeah. beard is normally this long, so that's, uh, that's to my shame, if anything. Excellent. Yeah, Very massive, good. massive thanks for having you on the podcast, Sean. I really appreciate you doing this. Pleasure, Ben. Thank you.